In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, the Church celebrates an anniversary. Now, looking back on such an occasion is a good exercise. Those of you who are married or have children can look back with great joy on the day that you received those gifts. You can look back on your baptism or your confirmation day, and you can see all the many ways that the Lord God has blessed you since. Now, maybe looking back reminds you of a time when things were simpler, things were easier, and maybe you wish that you could go back then. Sometimes the past seems preferable to today. But time moves on like an ever-rolling stream, and it compels you to come along with it. You cannot live in the past. You can never go back to the before times. You may only go into the future. Now, you can look to the past and know what for better or for worse has meant. You can look back to that day when you were confirmed, when you promised to face all, even death, rather than deny. You can see what difficulties you have faced since then, but you are unaware of what troubles tomorrow may bring. Things in the past are certain, unchanging, but the future is unknown less understandable, less certain. And just as it is for you, in a way, it is also true for the church. We Christians can look back on the past and see God's provision and great, excuse me, and great blessing. We can look to the confessions like the one made at Augsburg, and we can see how the church has opposed error and supported the truth. We can look to the past and see what doctrines of the church have been attacked. Throughout history, all manner of Christian teachings have been threatened, that God alone is responsible for salvation, apart from any work of man, that the gift of children are good, that God created the world in six 24-hour days, that baptism saves that the true body and blood of Jesus are given in the sacrament of the altar, that marriage is between a man and a woman, that Jesus is both God and man. And every one of these false teachings became an occasion for the church to speak clearly, to confess boldly what the Bible says. But what comes next for the church? What does the future hold? What doctrines will the world oppose and deny? And what precisely will the church have to say? How will the media, the government, and the world receive her confession? What might persecution look like? And as if all that weren't scary enough, Jesus also speaks of the future in today's gospel. He says what he will do in the future regarding you. I will confess. I 
will deny. Being confessed or denied by Jesus is a big deal. Your confession, then, is a matter of eternal salvation. The writers of the Augsburg Confession knew this. They were not professional theologians, but laymen. What would happen if they spoke up? Would their message be heard? Would these words be their last? Would their government be for or against them? And so it is for us. We don't know what the media might say about us. We don't know what the government may demand of us. We don't know. We don't have control. And yet, for those confessors, even though the Roman Empire didn't permit true freedom of expression, and even though they also knew the history of persecution against the gospel, still they confessed. And then they even knelt before the emperor and invited him to chop off their heads before they would abandon their confession. So what could cause this kind of courage? How could they be willing to sacrifice their very lives? How could they remain faithful even to death? Because they knew this text. They knew God's word. They knew that Jesus said not to be afraid. Because Jesus said that your father knows the lives of the sparrows. And he is not called their father, but your father. And Jesus is not their brother, but yours. And he did not shed his blood to redeem them, but you. He did not wash them in the waters of holy baptism and call them by name. This he has done for you. The confessors at Augsburg knew this. They knew their confession was faithful to God's word. Their confession was one of eternal significance. And I know it might be a little bit long to listen to, but consider exactly what kinds of things are in this confession of 28 articles. We believe, one, in the triune God, Two, original sin separates us from God. Three, Jesus is God's son. Four, through his death, we are justified by grace and not works. Five, God delivers this justification through the office of the ministry. Six, Christians live a new life. Seven and eight, God institutes his church. Nine, Baptism is for all, including infants. Ten, the body and blood of Jesus is given in the supper. Eleven, repentant sinners are absolved. Twelve, repentance has two parts, contrition and faith. Thirteen, the sacraments are effective. Fourteen, only called pastors are to preach and administer the sacraments. 15. We keep traditional worship and customs because they teach Christ. 
16, Christians may serve in government. 17, Jesus will return. 18, our free will has limits. 19, the devil and our wickedness cause sin. 20, Christians do good works. 21, we don't pray to the saints. 22, the Lord's blood is to be given to all who commune. 23, we allow our pastors to marry. 24, we keep the divine service. 25, we keep private confession. 26, we don't insist on details of fasting. 27, monastic vows are voluntary. And 28, church and state are separate offices. Every one of these articles is firmly grounded in the scriptures. And so those who first wrote and confessed this document knew that it's God's word that determines reality. Those voices out there in the world don't create reality. Those, their words didn't make the sparrows. Their words didn't make you. Their words don't remake you in holy baptism. Their words don't gather you into the church. Rather, it's God's word that does these things. That means that when your pastor speaks from the pulpit, he's only authorized to say what God's word says. Only God's word is to be preached and believed. Now, those out there in the world may try to shame you or me or this church because they think that they are powerful. But when it comes to the last day, they won't be standing before you demanding you give them an account. Those who kill the body will not be around on the last day for you to fear them. For all flesh is grass, but the word of our God stands forever. And so stand firm then in his word, which sustains you to the end. With this confession, boldly go into the future, trusting that Christ, who has given you these truths, will sustain you in them unto life everlasting. In the holy name of Jesus. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.